Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I want to get into taking a look at the legislative agenda in Washington, D.C., the things that uh, Trump and the Republicans in the Senate and the House are trying to advance and uh, their chances of actually accomplishing something. Not hopeful. Not hopeful. At least nothing good. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. com. your iHeartRadio app. Two ways to stream the program. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. Catch up on the podcasts on our new iHeartRadio channel. Just do a search for Closing Argument. In the podcast section, you can also continue to catch us on iTunes or Spreaker or whatever podcatcher you happen to be using. Appreciate you tuning in. 651-989-5855 to chime in on any of the things we've been chatting about this evening. From Reuters, let's see if we can get to the meat of it here. U.S. President Donald Trump took aim at insurers on Monday in an escalating threat to cut the health care subsidy payments that make Obamacare plans affordable. That's an interesting piece of journalism there, isn't it? And are Obamacare plans affordable? I thought that was the whole point as to why we needed to engage in so because even the Democrats will confess. Even they admit, well, it's not a perfect law and we need to do things to change it. Okay, well then obviously it's not making plans affordable, right? Nevertheless, your your objective Reuters reporting there. Continuing with their uh, report. If Obamacare is hurting people, and it is, why shouldn't it hurt the insurance companies, and why should Congress not be paying what public pays? Trump, a Republican, wrote on Twitter. Trump, frustrated that he and Republicans have not been able to keep campaign promises to repeal and replace Obamacare, has threatened to let it implode. So far, the administration has continued to make the monthly subsidy payments, but withholding them would be one way to make good on Trump's threat. Republican Senator Rand Paul told reporters on Monday he spoke to Trump by phone and the president was considering taking executive action to address problems with the health care system. Paul said he told Trump he thought he had the authority to create associations that would allow organizations such as the AARP that represents retirees or the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to offer group health insurance plans. The White House declined to comment on the matter. Now, strategically, this strikes me as a pretty absurd way to get to where you want to be as a Republican, as a sitting president wanting to advance a particular legislative agenda because he's taking, and now look, the underlying strategy, the idea that things might have to get worse out there in the government control market before there's the political will to make them better I get that, and I'm not Pollyannish enough to believe that that's not something that's going to play out in the ongoing legislative negotiations. But you don't take credit for it. You don't say, oh, you know, I'm going to ensure what we're going to do now is we're going to let everything implode. 
Well, then as it implodes and as people are losing their insurance and as their lives are becoming tangibly worse, they're going to look to you, the guy who just said we're going to let this happen, and blame you for what's happening to them, right? They're going to blame your party. They're going to blame the status quo. And guess what they're going to do in 2018? It ain't going to be send more Republicans to you. Let's go to Chris in Minneapolis. Welcome to the program. Hi. How's it going? Uh, good show tonight. Thank you. Anytime. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I was just wondering uh, the Seth Rich story. Uh, all I, you don't hear a lot about it on the mainstream media, uh, but what I'd heard, uh, heard what I know right now, or what I've heard right now, as far as is that Seth Rich. Uh, the investigation really had, there hasn't been an autopsy uh, report out. Uh, there's a lot, it seems to be, uh, the, as far as investigations go, it seems to be on the back burner. And um, have, you, have you heard anything about uh, him possibly being the, the person who leaked no. Hillary and John Podesta emails to uh, WikiLeaks? No, I mean my my understanding of the the facts of the case is that all of that is at this point unsubstantiated unsubstantiated speculation. You know, is it plausible? Sure, it's plausible. Uh, but the the people who are charged with pursuing those investigations, uh, you know, unless, unless you're going to craft some sort of uh, interagency conspiracy to protect the Democrats. Uh, have have no reason to, uh, I mean, and, and look at the family, right? The family is objecting to that line of inquiry. There's nobody who has a greater motivation to get to the truth of what happened to Seth Rich than his mother and father and the people who cared about him and loved him throughout his life. And so I tend to believe that there is nothing there. Did Donna, where did we find out about Donna Brazil at first? You tell me. As far as you know. Well, I'm guessing it was uh, thinking back. That was quite a ways back. I remember Megan Kelly grilling her, uh, but I I think that was a WikiLeaks, wasn't it? I believe so, yes. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. Uh, that was part of the story that we read earlier. It was a WikiLeaks. I guess my main concern is on that Seth Rich thing. Um, well, either way. It's nice, good show. Nice listening yeah. to you. And oh, so somebody, there's a lawsuit against Trump as we speak. Right, that right, somebody's right, right. claiming he fabricated or the Seth Rich story. Tr- yeah, Seth right. Rich story. Yeah. Now the specifics, we didn't get into the specifics of the story, but basically, you know, it's surprise, surprise. This is a sensationalized headline. Um, but the the truth of the matter, from what I can tell in reading the text, is that basically he got an advanced copy of the article. And he liked it, and he passed along that he wanted to see it out. He wanted to see it published. And that's basically the extent of it. Now, you know, is that, is that fabricating a story? Uh, I don't—I think that might be overstating it. Uh, but it's also not something that if you were to substitute Trump for Obama and Fox News for MSNBC, that I would think is totally kosher either. So we'll see what, uh, what emerges in the, the coming— days and weeks. Well, it will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I have heard uh, that we might in the future be hearing that 
the Obama administration was siphoning off or illegally using uh, funds from or taking money basically from Fannie and Freddie to funnel into Obamacare. So that will be interesting. That's interesting. That comes out in the mainstream media sometime. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, thank you for either way you're, that you're touching on the Wasserman Schultz thing tonight. It's good. Yeah. So you're bringing that to it our attention and giving that some extra coverage it needs coverage take care thank you appreciate it from the star tribune as republican lawmakers promote an overhaul of the tax code senate democrats are offering conditions of their own 45 members of the senate democratic caucus sent a letter to president trump and gop senate leaders tuesday encouraging cooperation on tax reform but asking that republicans not cut taxes for the wealthiest one percent of americans now my question is why? Why? Now, I think there's a very easy political answer, right? Anytime you can castigate, target, scapegoat 1% of the population, that's a political winner, right? This whole 1% versus the 99% rhetoric that that came out of the Occupy movement and that has, has found purchase within the Democratic Party uh, and the the leftist uh, activist base that is you know it it evokes to me what Ayn Rand said about minority status that there is no greater minority than the individual and that is the god honest truth you know you, you want to talk about you know the the intersectional minority culture of the left where they place greater moral authority upon people who come from certain minority groups. You know, if, you, if you're a black man, then you, people need to stop and listen to you because you're a black man and the things you say are valuable because you are a black man saying them. And then if a black woman says something, then the black man needs to stop and listen to her because she's not only black, she's also a woman. And if she's gay, then, you know, the heterosexual black women in the room, they have to stop and turn and listen because the the, the black female lesbian, you know, she's has greater moral authority than anybody else in the room up to that point on account of the, her intersectional minority status. Well, here's here's a, an argument that an intersectional minority person should be able to understand. The, the mathematical underlying justification for your intersectional idea is that the smaller the group, the, the, the smaller and more obscure the minority, the greater moral authority they have. I'm willing to concede that premise. I don't agree with it, but I'm willing to concede that premise to lead you to the point where you acknowledge that the highest level of moral authority comes from the individual. Because one man against the world, right? One woman against the world, that, those are pretty big odds. That, that is the pinnacle of minority status. And that is what we quite often find ourselves up against. One person or one percent of the population that's singled out as the evil that must be opposed by democracy. And this is the, the great lie or misdirection of the left. They, they tout the idea of democracy as this inherent moral good. Well, what happens when a democratic majority decides they want to decapitate the minority, right? What democracy spoke? The people spoke. Democracy in action, right? Or is there supposed to be some sort of limiting principle within which our democratic processes occur? I, I would suggest so, right? And then we call that 
an institution that recognizes those limiting principles, we call that a republic. And that's, you know, beyond beyond the the political affiliations, the ideological affiliations, that's why I consider myself a small r republican rather than a democrat. Because it's it's not the raising of hands and the counting of votes that determines right from wrong. It's the principle of individual rights that determines the course that governments should take. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855, Talk.com. Like I say, I understand the impulse to want to have champions to go out there and fight with the left and to engage and to throw punches and to, to not pull those punches and to be effective in pushing back the advancement of the progressive agenda. I get that. I feel that. I sympathize with it. I share the desire to see that happen. It is nonetheless important to consider this little thing we call strategy. <laughs> this, this little thing we call tactics. How are we going to engage in the fight towards the aim of victory, towards the aim of winning? And I'm not just talking about electoral victory, which, of course, is important, but it's important because it is a step towards the greater goal, which is legislative victory, policy victory, actually influencing public policy, shaping public policy to be consistent with the principles and values that we care about so that government takes on its rightful role of protecting individual rights. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Uh, We'll get momentarily here towards an article that exhibits the importance of considering strategy rather than just running in and throwing punches. But before we do, let's go to Mike in Farmington. Welcome once more to the program. Yeah, good evening, Walter. Thanks for taking my call. Yep. I, I wondered if you had happened to have a chance. There was there were some hearings that I uh, watched a few excerpts from. It was rather interesting. The pairing you had Ben Shapiro and Adam Carolla. I don't know if you had an opportunity to see any of those hearings, and where they were basically addressing what was what was happening on the college campuses. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. But, now, are you sure it was Ben Shapiro? Because I know that Adam Carolla was doing something like that with uh, Dennis Prager. Well, yeah, that's a that's another unique pairing as well. Okay. Uh, no, I believe Mr. Carolla was there. He was present either that day or maybe on the same panel with Mr. Shapiro. Gotcha. Wouldn't surprise me. Those those two were, uh, you know, not not similar necessarily in style, but certainly in mindset. So and it was very interesting, but it kind of went to something that you touched upon on your show and really begs the question where these institutions where we're supposed to have an exchange of ideas and uh, a, a vigorous debate, you know, college is supposed to be something where we look at different viewpoints where now it's almost turned into this, uh, well, there it's commonplace to have this thuggery go on when somebody like Ben Shapiro or Ann Coulter comes right. from the university. Right. And this is actually, uh, during the testimony, it was... 
Oh, you're talking about the Senate test, your actual Senate hearing. Yeah, I did hear about this. Shapiro was talking about it on his uh, podcast. I think he's planning on excerpting some of the testimony in his podcast for tomorrow. And, and his assertion was that the administration is actually helping these people along and, and stifle free speech. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. instructing the security and law enforcement yep. not to do their job or to I think in the case of Mr. Shapiro, they were basically, if there was any issue, they were going to just not allow him to speak at all. Right. But where I'm going with this is, and you touched upon it in your earlier broadcast, is that what are we left to do when our institutions, our police forces, don't enforce the law anymore? They right. don't take up the mandate that they've been directed by, right. and the citizenry is... You know, we're, we're going to work and we're paying our tax money. Right. And yep. they're not right. performing their job. What are we left with as citizens if we can no longer count on government to perform the duties that we've entrusted with right. them to right. perform? Right. Well, I mean, I hesitate to, uh, in, in the small amount of time that we have, try to present some sort of catch-all answer to to that question because I think that it, it depends on the context and depends on the particulars of the situation you find yourself in as to what the appropriate action is that you should take. But generally speaking, it's unacceptable, right? I mean, the, what you're talking about is a scenario that I call passive tyranny, and it's when government chooses not to do its job, and it does so because it doesn't agree with your, your particular exercise of rights. So in other words, you know, they, they, they try to pretend as though you have the freedom of speech because they're not coming you know, with, with soldiers or police officers in riot gear kicking down your door and dragging you away because of what you said. But what they're actually doing is they're stepping aside and letting the, their private army of anarchists do it for them and then just not doing their job in terms of protecting your rights and enforcing the law against those who are aggressing against you. And that, to my mind, is just as bad as if they sent the cops or the military into your venue and dragged you off the stage because of what you were saying. It's the same thing. It's just more subversive. And so, you know, the, 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 the first part of, you know, how to react is to say that and to, and to engage both in terms of the culture through venues like this one, uh, but also uh, in, in public meetings, and through the electoral process and the political process to make it clear that we are not going to accept a government which selectively decides when and where to enforce the law because in a, in a subversive effort to chill speech with which they disagree. That's so not acceptable. You, what would you consider our greatest leverage or tool at our disposal to uh, put these politicians in a predicament to force them to, to act or take action? Well, <laughs> so, I, I, again, recognizing that there, there are certain limits to what you're going to be able to do, right? But I, I think ultimately what it comes down to is voting with your feet. So, you know, cities like Berkeley, states like California— where this type of mentality has taken hold and is rooted in an establishment which is not going to uh, be uh, displaced anytime soon, the answer is to leave and to let it sink into... You know, I, frankly, I think this effort that is uh, going under the radar in terms of Californians wanting to secede from the union after the election of Trump, 
I think that should, exit. yeah, I think that should be encouraged. I think that should be encouraged. I think conservatives should be funding it. You know, should be we should be raising money to help them get them out of the union and let them. In fact, you know, I'm all for coming up with some way to just physically partition the state. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Off of the continental United States and push it out in the ocean. They can have their own little country. They can make it their own little Cuba and see how it works out for them. What about Illinois then? Well, and, and this is that's the beauty of federalism. And so, you know, what we can, what those of us who, you know, want to live in a sane world can do, and I, I understand the irony of saying this in the context of living in Minnesota, but for those of us who uh, want to live in a sane world, we can, we push for the, for states' rights. You know, this, this article uh, that I was about to go to before you called related to affirmative action and it relates to colleges. So it's kind of apropos. The Trump administration, this is from the New York Times, Trump administration is preparing to redirect resources of the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division toward investigating and suing universities over affirmative action administration's policies deemed to discriminate against white applicants. Now, on its face, do I agree with the administration that affirmative action is an inappropriate state-sanctioned form of segregation? Of course I agree with that. They're 100% correct. But I don't know that the answer is for the Justice Department to start investigating colleges. I think the answer is to restore states' rights, restore the ability of localities to compete with one another for the government that people actually want to live under. That is, that is a, a crucial function in how we inform or enforce and maintain the consent of the governed, actually allowing people to live under the laws that they elect in their own localities. I appreciate your call, Mike. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Believe it or not, there is yet another development in the Philando Castile story. From the Star Tribune, the fight for a portion of the $3 million settlement reached in the fatal shooting of Philando Castile escalated in recent days when his father, who is serving a life term in federal prison, filed objections in court and asked for $500,000. The fighting for, for money in the wake of the admittedly tragic death of Philando Castile is underway. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and over your iHeartRadio app, 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. Catch up with the podcasts right there in the iHeartRadio app. Just do a search for closing argument. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Brad Omlin taking your calls, producing the program. Continuing with the Star Tribune, Castile's mother, Valerie Castile, filed a petition in court in late July requesting that after her attorneys are paid, the rest of the money should be given to her, $2 million. The petition, written by attorney Robert Bennett, claimed that Castile's father was absent from his life and that he, five half-siblings, and other relatives made no claims on any of the money. 
Castile's father, Felix H. Frazier Sr., disputed that assertion and claims that he had no communication with his son, who was fatally shot by former St. Anthony police officer Geronimo Yanez during a routine traffic stop last year. I was totally blindsided by Valerie Castile's lack of compassion for both me and her own daughter, uh, Elysia, and the decision to award herself the entire settlement, Frazier wrote from a federal penitentiary in Greensville III, or, or Greensville, Illinois, I'm sorry. The trustee's cold clinical assessment of Elisa's mental stability is startling, uh, where she states, Elisa is vulnerable and needs time to heal and resume her growth as an adult without the distraction of a large sum of money. That is something that was actually said, that, that she, she doesn't need the distraction of having money, the sister. This, this it goes on like this, and it's it's absolutely disgusting, absolutely disgusting. This is the legacy of Philando Castile, right? I mean, there there was this effort that was put forward. I believe it was instigated by Valerie, by the mother, to try to name a training program or training funding, training grant after Fernando Castile in order to enshrine his legacy and to com- convey some sort of value. I, I'm not exactly sure what it was supposed to convey, but supposedly it was going to have something to do with his legacy, right? Well, let, that's nice. We're going to name something after him. Great. You know, the real legacy of our loved ones when they pass, the real legacy is in, is in how we honor them through our behavior, through our conduct, through our relationships, how we live our lives. And this is how the Castile family is choosing to honor Philando. It's like the introduction to a Jerry Springer show. She was awarded $2 million in a settlement. Her husband, who's in prison, says he gets some of that money. Right. Her and her husband claims that her their daughter, who is mentally unstable, deserves the money too. Yeah. Every part of this story is sleazy. Every part of it. In fact, and one of the things that you may gloss over when you first read it is that part about the $2 million, right? It was a $3 million settlement, right? So where did the million go? The million went to her attorneys after the lawyers are paid. Just a little bit of review of, how, of what went down here and how this works. Because I remember when this story first broke that St. Anthony was settling with uh, Valerie Castile, that it was written about in our journalistic media that's supposed to be educated and objective and report the unvarnished truth it was reported as though it was some sort of moral victory for the castile family that the that saint anthony was acknowledging that some tort had had been uh, engaged in and that the castile family deserved this money that is not what happened at all that's not what happened at all it was a it was as automatic of a settlement as a settlement can possibly be. Again, speaking as somebody who has some involvement in local government, cities, the overwhelming majority of municipalities in the state of Minnesota, all have insurance through the League of Minnesota Cities. And guess what the max payout is? $3 million. $3 million. Now, do you think the lawyer, Valerie Castile's lawyer, didn't know that before he even took the case? You bet he knew that. He knew exactly what he was going after. He knew exactly where the pot of gold was at the end of the rainbow. $3 million settlement. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Because the whole the reason why the cities have that insurance is so that they can settle 
and not have to deal with the expense and the and the ongoing drama of litigation. That's the whole purpose in having the insurance. So they, they're not going to balk for one second or or deliberate for, for more than a minute over whether or not to settle, especially because the, it's the League of Cities through the premiums of cities across the state that's actually paying out that $3 million. It didn't come from St. Anthony. So it's 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 the per, it's that's exactly what this policy, what this system is set up to do, to pay out to people who have claims. That's fascinating, it, isn't it? But and now and again, you would think that somebody with the title reporter after their name might have thought to write an article to that effect. Wow. But you know that would assume that we actually have people in that profession who are interested in first of all coming up with something unique. That isn't just cut and pasted from a press release, and two, actually having something truthful and comprehensive and objective to say, rather than reporting something sensational and feeding into people's prejudices. I know that's way too much to ask from uh, our media, both locally and nationally, though I do appreciate the the source material that I get on a night-to-night basis. From USA Today. Amazon is hoping that viewers who registered their disapproval of HBO's upcoming slavery drama Confederate will have a positive reaction to their own alternative history series. Wait for it. Black America. Now, when I when I first read this, not knowing what it was, and I got to that title for the new show, Black America, I assumed, because I, I, I don't know what's coming after that, right, as, as you may not. I assumed that it was perhaps a documentary or some sort of uh, historical or educational program. No, here's what it is. As in Confederate, which is the new uh, in-development HBO series from Game of Thrones creators David Binoff and D.B. Weiss, Black America is a fictional program that takes place in a universe where the South has seceded from the Union, but where Confederate imagined slavery as a modern-day institution. The Amazon offering focuses on freed slaves who form their own country out of the states of Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana, given to them as reparations for the country's original sin. So it is quite literally about Black America, a country called Black America, where people are black and Americans, and that's the defining aspect of the country of the of the show and the country within the show. Isn't that kind of how Australia was formed? <laughs> uh, you may have uh, more background information than I do on that subject. But the the thing I find fascinating about this, and of course this is happening. Of course they have to, you know, outdo one another on who can can offer the better totally uh irrational and, and fantastical historical alternative reality that justifies their worldview rather than on focusing what's actually true. This is actually very revealing because, you know, the, the idea that reparations for slavery could be manifest in the basically what amounts to a large reservation for black people, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're going to just cut off three states, put all the black people there, and be, now, what is fundamentally different between that and what your your neighborhood, your friendly neighborhood KKK member wants, right? Your Richard Spencer white nationalist down the street. Yeah, you know, 
What's the difference between what he wants and what's being advocated for here in this show? And there's no sense of irony whatsoever. There's no sense of shame that basically what's being presented here is racial segregation. I thought that we went through this whole civil rights era drama back in the 60s in order to move beyond racial racial segregation. And yet, it it seems again and again, whether in the fantasy of an Amazon program or the reality of the most recent prescribed policy from your favorite local Democrat, they keep wanting to drag us back to a to an arbitrary and wholly prejudicial recognition of racial differences. Remember when, like, the argument against libertarians was, well, they'll take us back to the 18th century. Right. <laughs> That's quite literally what the left wants to do in, in almost every regard. They, you point to any given category of public policy, and they want to drag us back. They want to regress, which is the great irony of their chosen moniker, progressive. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. It's amazing how people tend to feel as though, certain people, not everyone, that the market is somehow exploiting them, right? That the, the interaction of free people exchanging value for value in trade, you know, applying their own judgment to an evaluation of whether or not a product or service is worth a certain amount or whether or not they ought to engage in a relationship on certain terms, that there's something inherently unfair about that when you don't get what you want, when you don't get the price you prefer or you don't get the terms that you'd like for whatever the case may be. Got a little example of that here for you that I find uh, amusing and that I have some personal experience that uh, can speak to. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. This comes to us from the Times of London, I believe. Uber drivers are secretly colluding to cause price surges that allow them to charge customers more, according to research seen by the Times. Academics, or, <laughs> man, Academics interviewed Uber drivers in London and New York and analyzed 1,012 posts on the independent uberpeople.net. According to the researchers, drivers in the same area coordinate to log out of the taxi-hailing app so that their cars drop off the list of available rides. This causes price to increase in line with the economics of supply and demand. And it goes on to uh, describe this. Now, this was published today. You know, they, they, it's the second earlier over there than it is here, apparently. Um, this is not news. I, I've i been driving. I don't drive for Uber anymore, but I was driving for them pretty consistently for about a year and a half, starting about a couple of years ago. And when I started, this was a known issue. In fact, Uber addresses it right on their website, right in their training, the notion that it, you, if you are caught colluding, which they can determine, they have algorithms that can that flag when there is unusual activity in terms of when people choose to log in and when they choose to log out, and whether or not they're doing it uh, at the same time as others, they will dismiss you as a driver. 
because it is not in their interest to have their system manipulated for this reason, right? So, you know, that's a thing, which leads me to question, who are these researchers that the Times is looking at and what research have they done? Because based upon what I'm reading here, it's it looks like these researchers went to a website and read a forum and became privy to information that I knew two years ago. I know how to Google. Yeah, that's all it takes. That's apparently the only qualification for being a researcher nowadays is that you can go to forums and listen to people's complaints. This is not a problem. Uh, it, it's not a problem for a couple of reasons. One, if you don't like Uber, there are other options, right? The beauty of the market. Number two, as aforementioned, Uber has addressed it in terms of their internal processes. And here's here's the third point. Let's say, let's say Uber, let's say the, the premise of this article is true. And Uber didn't care. They weren't doing anything to combat collusion amongst their drivers. And drivers actually were manipulating the process in order to to uh, bump up the surge pricing so that it costs more for you to get home at the at bar close or whatever the case may be. So what? So what? What right of yours has been violated by an Uber driver deciding that they're not going to be available to you at a certain price? Answer me that. If if I'm not willing to drive you from the bar to your house, you know, for what effectively redounds to about a dollar a mile, it's about what it comes down to. If I want to bump that up to two, three, four, five, and, and those are the terms upon which I agree to engage with you in trade, then them's the terms. Guess what? You don't have to do it. You can call a cab. You can arrange other transportation. That's how the market works. There is no inherent harm being done here. From Roll Call, a poll suggests that Kid Rock is the Republican frontrunner for Senate in uh, Michigan, at least for the primary. He's eight points behind the Democrat. Kid Rock, the rap rock musician and outspoken supporter of President Donald Trump, tops the field of Republican Senate, uh, Senate voters in Michigan, according to a new poll. But he trails Democrat incumbent Debbie Stabenow. Considering Rock, or Robert Ritchie, as he was born, hasn't yet declared his candidacy in the race, Stabenow's eight-point lead in a hypothetical matchup will likely add fuel to his possible candidacy. Ritchie took 33% in the Target Insight poll compared to his closest rival, businessman and veteran John James, who had 16%. Now, you should go out and Google John James because this guy is the real deal. This is a guy who... I don't know, 18, 24 months ago, would have would have been the far out, out front front runner. There would have been no question as to whether or not he was going to be the candidate. My understanding of him is that he's a black guy. He's a business owner. I believe he has a military background. Uh, he's got a pull-up-by-your-own-bootstraps type story. He's a true believer in the conservative cause. He speaks with authority on actual policy and topics in an intellectual manner. You know, something that we used to value in our candidates. But no, we're going to go for Kid Rock. We're going to go for Kid Rock. Because that's where we're at now. We've we've arrived in the age of the idiocracy. Now, look, I'm not discounting the possibility that Kid Rock could be an outstanding statesman. I don't know. Maybe he could. He hasn't demonstrated it to me yet. But it's troublesome to me that our instinct right now and this particular moment in history is to go with celebrity 
overqualification. And that we, we've gotten to the point where, you know, in every other area of life, whether we're hiring a, pl- a plumber to come in and fix our pipes or a tutor to teach our children, we look at qualification because we recognize that qualification adds value, but we've suddenly dismissed the idea of qualification in those people who are entrusted with the power to use force through government. I don't understand that. Maybe you can explain it to me. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Closing argument, 9 to 11 weeknights. Glenn Beck is next. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.